Welcome to Career Crashers, where we tell the stories of those who are not content to wait around following rules and hoping for good things to happen. Great careers aren't found, they're forged. It's time to crash the party. Today on Career Crashers, I'm joined by Jabril Jackson, who is the founder of Hive. And uh, Jabril, he's got a really interesting career story because, at least from my understanding, but we're going to learn more, you kind of started off with a very prestigious, successful track. You were going into kind of law, uh, finance area, and you left all that to go start a startup. huge, huge risk. And it's been a roller coaster, I know, since then. But I would love to learn more about that and really anything in your career story. So first, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, and yeah, I think that's that's pretty accurate. Uh, everything you said is, uh, is right on point. Well, start us out with kind of, you know, your original plan. You, you went to college, uh, law school, I think, after that. And kind of where were you going? And then at what point did you decide you wanted to actually go try to start a company instead? Yeah, it's kind of a weird, long journey. I mean, I guess little context, you know, my mom is uh, from the projects in Brooklyn, like right next to where Jay-Z grew up, a place called Sumner. And then uh, my, my grandfather, my grandparents are from this place called Carville, Louisiana, which has the distinction of uh, being where James Carville's from. But uh, it's like a, you know, classic two-horse town. I mean, I love it. You know, my grandma still lives there, but it's like, you know, so basically we like, uh, you know, generationally poor American family, you know, just like most. Um, and so like, I'm a classic meritocrat, right? Like the only way I get into things is by testing it. You know, I'm like top 1% of my LSAT, that kind of thing, you know, always been like sort of a, uh, like I tested into this really fancy high school when I was in, um, when I was 14, ended up being like going from Oakland, California, East Oakland, where I grew up to going to school in the third richest neighborhood in the U S Pacific high school. Let's go. Wow. Um, so yeah, I tested everything, right? So I tested in law school, uh, got in everywhere, you know, uh, chose Stanford, went there and kind of like, you know, as soon as I got there, I kind of realized I'd sort of made a mistake, uh, in a certain sense. Like <laughs> what made you, I hear that. I hear that from a lot of people who go into law in particular, but what, what made you have that realization? Well, for me, it's always been like, you know, uh, a part of it has always been like a mission of like human progress, right? Like, just be just the way that I get into things and all, and and sort of get accepted into places. It's like, you know, you have to be fighting for knowledge and for understanding. And I went to law school and I saw none of that. You know, it was not like you think of it as an intellectual exercise, but it's really American law is fundamentally broken. You know, it's like it's bullshit. <laughs> and so, you know, I get there and I don't get the intellectual exercise that I want, but I realized that I kind of, um, you know, that the the struggle in a lot of ways was economic you know, understanding wealth and stuff. And I was an economics major in undergrad at Morehouse. Um, and so I directed myself towards Wall Street, right? Like what better place to try to like further this and understand wealth and also make some money than that. And at the time, my plan was to go into a hedge fund uh, eventually, right? Like I wanted to, the pitch was kind of like, I know the regulatory system because I'm like, you know, I'm a lawyer and I you know, work at uh, a good firm, presumably this is why I'm in law school before I get into a firm. And then, uh, and then, you know, I'd learn some finance and kind of like make that pitch, right? Like global macro was always what I wanted to do, make big bets, that kind of thing. Uh, and so then I get into Skadden Arps in New York, uh, start there. And, 
it was a good experience. I mean, I started in 2006. So, you know, what's coming in two years. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, um, SKM for two years, we're doing like great deals. You know, I did, my first deal was vitamin water, uh, Coca-Cola with, wow. uh, yeah. So the 50 cent deal, all that kind of stuff. Right. Wow. Great experience, man. I mean, I, I actually, of all the places I worked, that's the only place that I wouldn't shit on. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You can uh, say, you can say shit on this podcast. Thank you. I uh, learned a ton. And I think that like the first part of kind of getting out of school, like the professionalization aspect of just learning how to be a professional, learning how to like, you know, care about typos, learning how to like, learning that like, it's not so much about bringing something unique as bringing something consistent, you mm-hmm. know, and adding like kind of flares of intelligence on top of it when you can. But like, you know, it was a good learning process. I spent Three years at SCAD and doing everything from, again, we worked for Coca-Cola a lot. So we did uh, Coca-Cola's $11 billion bottling deal. We did uh, Biden Warren. I was on the M&A team. So from the start of my career, all I have ever done before I did this was buy and sell other companies. Um, period. Right? Like, that's the only thing I ever worked on. Um, on the legal side, I was an M&A guy, uh, again, for Coca-Cola. So we did the bottling deal, did much of stuff like that. And then four years in, right, deals are drying up. You know, the, the crisis hit hard. So I lasted through the crisis. Scadden's a good, again, it's a good place. And like they retain people and stuff like that. Like they, they weren't forcing anyone out the door. It's not like that. So, uh, but I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm not learning, <laughs> you know, because we're not doing deals. Like we're sitting here. And I know, particularly for me, a meritocrat, somebody whose family isn't going to like put any, you know, sweet juice on the, on the lever or whatever. Like, like I need to like be good. You feel me? Like, <laughs> like I take yep. a danger if I'm idle. So, um, you know, about two years in, I'm like, dude, I'm not doing any deals. There aren't any real deals going around. At least if I jump to the banking side, I can learn finance by pitching, right? Like, I, you know, even if there are no deals and when the deals come back, you know, the bet is that the old guys who've been starving for a while, who everybody owes favors to are going to, you know, get some money and then we'll be fine. So long as I kind of like survive the journey. Uh, so a good friend of mine, Rob Refkin, uh, who is a, uh, he's a CEO of Compass, actually. Um, founder and CEO of Compass. Let me, let me put some respect on his name. Uh, he, you know, had been trying to encourage me. Uh, I went to high school with him, by the way. So that high school. Dude, you're me. like, you're like Forrest Gump. You've <laughs> crossed paths with everyone at some point. Every time I talk to you, you're like, oh, I'm just hanging out with, you know, some NFL star, movie star, whatever. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a small world, you know, it's a small community and like, there's very little, there's, there's sort of like successes in small pockets. And yeah. so if you kind of find any of those pockets, you'll find all of them kind of, I'm sorry. I think uh, that's go. a good, that's a good insight though. That's a good, like, you know, and it's a good um, reason to kind of get into a niche and kind of try to do your best within that niche because you can, you can actually pretty quickly connect to, all of the, you know, or many of the relevant people in those niches and uh, build your network pretty, like a lot quicker than you would think from the outside. So yeah, no, 100%. I think that's, I think that's, that's a key insight that I learned in my career. I mean, that's, but that's going to go into the the thing that I, that I sort of, my mantra about this, which is all the stuff's about people. You know, it's all about relationships and people. And like, there's a negative side to that, especially as somebody like me, who's, who's way to win, whose weapon is, basically meritocracy, which everyone hates. Um, and like, 
you know, and so the, the, the overall theme of this is that there is no meritocracy on Wall Street. And then I had to like, you know, kind of find ways to sort of use what you built to kind of go. So let me continue the story. Um, so then I jumped to Wall Street, right? This is the fun part, actually. So um, Wall Street, terrible time, right? No one's doing deals. I'm a city group. Uh, and I'm in the industrials group. So I'm not even in like, you know, media yet. Um, and I'm doing aircraft leasing at the time. And the models in aircraft leasing are really detailed. They like, uh, they model them by the plane tail number. That's where your revenue comes from, blah, 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 right? So I'm learning these complicated models and I'm looking at them and, you know, I'm from the Bay. So I grew up with a bunch of hackers too, you know? And so I'm looking at them like, this is just shitty code. Like all the if then statements in Excel, like, come on, man, this is just bad. This is code in a bad language. So then I'm like, huh, what if I try to really dig in and like really learn code while I'm, because I've got to learn this model anyway and they have to be related. Uh, so I double tracked it. Like in the times where I wasn't like learning, you know, the finance, because everyone has to learn when you join a bank, right? The time when I was, wasn't kind of working directly on financial models, I was learning Python. Uh, and, and you just decided you wanted to teach yourself this? Yeah, I just picked up, a, I picked up a book and I kept reading them until they made sense. Um, and then the theory, of course, was like, Look, if these things are related and one is more complicated, I'll get better at modeling by learning how to think in this kind of architecture. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't expect it to be to become what it's become, right? I didn't expect like it's kind of go full in on it. But um, you know, I started getting good. <laughs> I started hacking like uh, like social um, social media APIs right away, and I actually learned something really interesting about. Uh, where we are technologically while I was doing it. Cause I got good for one of those weird outlier time reasons that like could be in a book, which is that every hacker that I knew, even growing up, right? I'd grown up in a completely different infrastructure world, right? There were no ubiquitous cloud servers. There was no like, you know, there's only one type of database and stuff like that. And so they were like, well, there was more than one type, but everyone used like Postgres, SQL. And so they're working in this very static medium where a lot of what you have to learn is about how the computer itself works, right? That's a big part of like the early ways of learning how to hack. And especially some of the languages hadn't been developed like, or, you know, widespread then. So they were learning C++ things that had to do with like the basic functions, right? Uh, by the time I started learning, it was all higher level. Like you don't have to touch a computer. You got a cloud server at your fingertips. You, you know, so I, that means ubiquitous information, ubiquitous data, you know, uh, that you can kind of play with. Um, it's just an accelerated time in a certain sense. And so I learned like the kids are going to learn, <laughs> like I'm a new school <laughs> programmer, like ju uh, just to give you like uh, how new school I am. Um, I'm a native to graph databases. So I abandoned the database that everyone uses, like basically the first year I started using databases. And I've been programming in graph databases for like seven years. So you came in at a, at a, an interesting time. Like you had a really good, uh, entry point to to be focused basically entirely forward looking on what can you do with this rather than like needing to learn all of these more rudimentary things and that yeah. you think that helped you um be able to advance more quickly yeah i also I, I think it helped i think anyone who started right now would advance more quickly than than anybody who started back then that's the mm -hmm. point right yeah it's not yeah. me it's not my focus it's that like the tools are just better yep and so it's easier to learn there's stack overflow mm -hmm. You know, those kids had to like ask each other and stuff. Like, remember, like we we're we're young, but we're old. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't forget. Don't forget. Um, 
so anyway, uh, you know, I'm doing that for a while. Uh, I'm doing industrials and like, that's where I kind of realized that like Wall Street's not, I mean, you know, my original goal with all this, by the way, was to get really good at modeling enough to justify a hedge fund job to be like, look, I can handle all the data, right? Like I'm so good at my, I understand finance, like crystal, you know what I mean? Like I can literally model out and produce results. And like, I'm a super modeler by the end, you know? Um, then I realized finance is fake. Like that's, that's what I learned on Wall Street is that it's completely fake. No one would even hire you for that because no one believes in that. That's not how you make money. That's not how deals work. That's not how finance works. That's not how hedge funds work. <laughs> there are no secret geniuses with big numbers, maybe rent, rent tech, but I don't even believe that anymore. Like everyone's cheating. It's like, it's all relationship driven. Like that's the game. It's like the movie Wall Street was right. Bring me information. And at the end of the day, it's cause like, it's impossible. There's too much yeah. data, not enough information. Like you can't guess that. No one can beat the market like that. Yeah, it's funny, especially like the more the more information is accessible and commoditizable, so to speak, uh, and the, the faster it can flow, the less you're going to win by just, oh, we just, you know, we just scan and analyze all the information with, you know, really good models. It's like, in a way, the more that software and machines do, mm-hmm. the more human the things that humans have to do become right. So sure. like the, the things that are more rudiment, that are more, um, you know, arithmetical or calculation based or modeling based, you're not going to win in that way. It's, it's going to be, what is yeah. the uniquely human skill, which is, which is human to human relationships for the most part, you know? Yeah. What I'm saying is they've always won that way. Like yeah. in a world where like there's less data, you know what I mean? You don't have an advantage by being able to analyze more sparse points. You know, you need the actual, because you're just missing huge valleys of information. So it's like, even if you get like, you know, every single one of those peaks, that's not enough to understand what's going on. And on top of that, remember I came from the private side. So there's non-public information that's going around all the time that a ton of people do know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and they're actively trying to trick the rest of the market and pretend like it's not, you know, to, to give up, to give bad information into the market. So if you're a trader and you're just pure information, you're not cheating at all, right? Then that means you need to be able to filter out the bad information, the good information, the merger. You know, it's just like, it's impossible given the amount of information that you have. And everyone on Wall Street knows that. So they don't hire for it. It's funny that that realization you had that, you know, that's very similar to early in my career. I, I was similarly, I'm all about human progress and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go into the political realm. And I realized pretty quickly, nope, that's not where it's going to happen. But one of the, one of the things I realized was, you know, both directly in politics, but then even in like policy advocacy and that type of stuff, think tanks. I, I worked in the state legislature and I was in a ton of, you know, I worked for different state representatives for a couple of years and I was in a ton of these various committee meetings. And I learned not a single time did I ever see anyone's vote change based on a testimony in a committee. So mm-hmm. people would come in and they would make their test. And some guy from some think tank would come in and give a big presentation and show all the data why if you pass this bill, this is going to be the effect. And we've done all this research and compared all these other states. They all just listen theatrically. But every vote was already decided before that committee even started. And they were right. decided based either on political favors or things as stupid as, Oh, that lobbyist is a nice guy. He's taking me to lunch. He told me it's a good bill. I, I don't have time to figure out anything else. Like 
And then journalism was the same. The articles yeah. that journalists were writing about politicians had more to do with if they were personal friends with them or if they disliked them than it did. Like, and you just realize pretty quickly that, oh, no one's gonna, no one's gonna just change their behavior uh, because you did the research and presented them with the data. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Dude. Well, yeah, in other that's words, a, that's an important realization. Yeah. The key insight, the way I frame it is, I mean, because that's exactly right. The way I frame it is that like, so, like power comes from social networks. It comes from social groups. And like, no matter how good you are at information, no matter how good your information is, like if you can't penetrate that social network, you know, for whatever reason, be it like, you know, they don't like the cut of your jib, be it your race, be it your gender, be it whatever. If you can't penetrate that social network, you cannot access that power. No matter so what. Is, this, is this insight? I'm starting to hear hints of some of the things that, <laughs> that your startup is working on. So when did it go from, I'm teaching myself Python and I'm hacking around and I'm kind of disillusioned with where, you know, the way that things have gone in, in finance uh, after yeah. being disillusioned with law. When did that moment come where you're like, I have an idea that I think is worth building? Yeah. Well, I just, just to give you like an overall example, right? Like the, the insight to like, I'm going to take this seriously and start moving comes from, this right so the realization of like social networks of power and you know all that kind of stuff and then i'm sitting there you know before i moved to media right because this motivated my move to media i'm in industrials and in order for me to believe that i can be an md that i can be successful in this career right that i can make it all the way through and be an industrials md i gotta believe that i can travel around the midwest right to people whose families have owned companies for you know since jim crow and <laughs> and then Convince them both to sell that, you know, factory or that, that industrial plant or whatever. And then to use me as the person that helps them sell their generational asset because I'm so smart. You know, like it's like at some point, like I'm, you know, kind of blind, stupid, supposed to believe in meritocracy has to hit a wall of like demographic fact, bro. Like that's not yep. a realistic expectation. You know what I mean? And so the yep. only other way that you can say in that industry, if you can't get clients, because that's what that is, that's getting clients. So if you can't be a client guy, you have to be a service partner, which means you then have to find somebody that you're smarter than, right? Who understands that fact, number one, right? And number two, can't, like cares enough to rely on you. It's like that wants you to be his like brains partner. And he doesn't need a brains partner. He can just churn through, uh, you know, generations of juniors. Because again, no one believes the brains are that important. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not a meritocracy. So like socially, like this isn't going to work. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> like I was just like, oh man, like there's just no way up. This is not a way, this is not a path, you know? And the only way to even try to be the service partner is just to be a total bitch. You know? <laughs> yeah. You got to like really tap dance. And I'm just like, dude, I didn't do this. I didn't fight this hard to tap dance to these motherfuckers, man. Like, no, you know what I mean? Yeah. No fucking way. Yeah. So then my wife gets pregnant, right? And it's like, all right, here's what I'm facing, right? Four years into my career, 100 hour weeks, because I was working 100 hour weeks, right? Like I was on every deal and I was not like, you know what I mean? Like just, they were crushing me because of like, they relied on my ability, but they also didn't love that they relied on my ability. So I'm working 100 hour weeks and uh, my baby is going to be born and I'm never going to see him. And then in four years, the most important formative four years of his life, 
right? When I'm up for MD and he's, uh, and he's like, you know, about to go into school and like, I haven't seen him for four years. They're going to rob me. You know, they're going to cut me. Like, they're not going to be like, oh, all of a sudden now you, you know, why would they do that? Like, it didn't make any sense. Hmm. You know, it didn't make any yeah. sense. For, like, so as a kindness to my child, I was like, look, dude, like, you know, I'm a lawyer at this point, a super competent banker. I'm the best modeler I've ever even seen. And like, I'm a hacker. Let's go the third way. Let's be creative about this. Let's figure out something we want to build and build it. You know what I mean? So, so you decided to make that jump first before you had a specific idea that you wanted to build. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what was the immediate step that you took? Like you just like put in your two weeks and then like, you know, let's figure well, it out. You know, we waited till bonus season and all that stuff. And just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all good. I mean, it's not all good. I hate those people. But like, it's um, they're just like, you know, it's, it's sort of disappointing. I'll be honest. Like there's a deep disappointment for an American kid that didn't grow up in privilege to like fight as hard and win on the meritocratic level. And then like, know that you're about to lose on a social level. Like there's yeah. a particular type of fuck you that comes from that. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's sharpened my edge a bit. And like, I appreciate, you know, that's reality. That's, that's like how life is. You know what I mean? Uh, and so I left feeling also intellectually disrespected. People who couldn't correct my work and couldn't check my work were also constantly disbelieving my work and, try, and, and trying to check me on my work. And then I would teach them. Like I had a, a situation like early on when I moved to media with this guy who's like, you know, I'm not going to mention anybody by my name, whatever, but like he, uh, he's an MD, right? He's, he's, and he is the service partner to these, like, to these other big MDs, whatever. And he calls me on a Saturday. So just started working there. Starts screaming at me. Like, you know, what is this number? Da, 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 just like going in, right? And I look at it. And because I've been in industrials for so long, like a lot of industrial companies have pensions. And so I've made some like super correct, like super technical pension accounting adjustments <laughs> that he didn't understand. And so calmly after he finished yelling, I was like, oh, well, you know, let me just explain this to you. So I just walked him through it real quick. And then as I was tight, I built him a model in Excel and I sent it to him to play with. It just did that part. Um, and it was just, a, it was, and it never stopped. It got worse, but they were always wrong. You know what I mean? Like I was always yep. just like, nope. Nope. You know what I mean? Like, and it yep, was just yep. at some point, yep. like that kind of builds up a level of life. Where it's like, why don't you believe me? Like, yeah. You're using me all the time because no one else can do this, but you still like disbelieve it. There is a social aspect to that that yeah. was like deeply insulting. So, so like, go on. No, I was gonna say. Te so tell me about the. When did you get the idea for Hive and get that started? That's it. So I started, look, I had always been hacking like social streams and stuff like that. So I knew, you know, that. And then, uh, I mean, Hive's, well, okay. Um, and then that summer I worked on a- uh, that, I know that, I know that pause that, oh, okay. That contains, I yeah. know that's you thinking through all of the things that Hive has gone through and how are you going to try to condense all this down? <laughs> no, no, it's actually pretty easy because it is what it started as. And I just added like a sort of, marketing piece to it to kind of make it more socially palatable got it got it okay. um again this, the same thing of people not believing my work exists yep. beyond wall street dude you know what i mean so i leave the first thing i make that summer i'm like all right i don't know if i can really do this you know the first thing i make is like i make a from scratch natural language processing algorithm and it's working and i'm seeing it and i'm like oh shit like you know and it wasn't like uh it was complicated you know what i mean it was like something that was like oh dude i can i don't know if i can make this like you know what else 
So at first, that was going to be the basis of it, like analyzing the actual text of like uh, social stuff. Um, and then so I started thinking about a framework for it. What I came up with it was like sort of an aggregator, right? Like a, it's a social aggregator that like, you know, brings in all these streams and kind of packages it up to people differently, right? And, you know, I know I can do it. There are a bunch of like, you know, sort of things that happened since then. But that was like the kind of the genesis of the idea. Um, you know, and then I, I uh, want to pitch it. So I get a little team together, you know, to try to pitch. This is my first time going to talk to VC and stuff like that. I call in a bunch of favors. Like, dude, like we're going to pitch this idea. Um, and uh, I make a call. My homeboy, Miko, right? Miko is uh, one of my best friends. He is uh, basically, he's a creative director for like Nike, Adidas, and like, you know, a bunch of huge brands. Um, he's a photographer too. So like the guys that I had who I'd known from banking, I had them trying to make a deck and it was terrible. I hated it, right? I was like, this is garbage. Like, what is this? Um, and so I just took it all finally because I'm doing all the work. I'm writing code at this point, right? Um, I'm like, fine, man, this isn't going to work. So I come to Miko and I go, dude, I just need a favor, bro. Like, I need a favor. Can you please do me a favor and just give this some style? Like, teach me how to give this some style. That's all I wanted from him was like, you know, a little deck. Uh, and he starts working on it. He starts looking at it. We start talking about the idea. And he goes, dude, this is awesome. I mean, if this goes, I'd love to be the creative director. And I was like, ah, oh, no, you don't have to do that. You know, don't, don't shine me on, you know what I mean? <laughs> and he goes, oh, you don't want me to? And I'm like, no, dude, I'd love for you to be the creative What are you talking about? Uh, and then like, that's when we got, I think our first kind of like style asset that kind of really pushed this forward. He and I worked together and kind of like started thinking things through. We put together a deck, uh, and I pitched it and every VC that I met told me I was basically nuts, right? They were like, you're nuts. You just sounds like you're trying to reinvent the internet is what one dude said. Um, but I had a, a little weird kind of play up my sleeve. Um, this kind of set the tone for how I feel about VC too. Like the play up my sleeve was this. I was like, all right, look, you think I'm trying to reinvent the internet? You think it's impossible. I got them to say it was basically impossible. After the first guy said it, I was like, okay. Uh, and I made a gambit, right? I said, all right, I'll show you a demo in two months, right? A, a working demo, not like a pretty picture, not something that's like, you know, I mean, like real information, working demo, right? Problem, so, because I knew I had the back end, like it was, I'd already seen enough to know that the back end was working, right? Problem is, I'm not a front end engineer. So in that two months, I learned JavaScript and I built like a website. <laughs> uh, I built it from scratch. It was like, you know, whatever, but like it was, and it was what Hive is now basically, almost, you know? Like I put together like a whole, um, and then my demo, like, so everybody wants to see a car wreck. That was the bet, right? Like I'll show you a demo in two months. Everyone wants to see a car wreck. So I know they'll all tune in. So I called them all back in two months. Like, all right, let's, let's look at the demo. First guy gets on the phone. I show him the demo, right? Uh, no, the way I do it, is I don't even look because it's just a phone call. I just sent him an email with some, with, uh, and then I sent him a password and a login as we got on the phone. And then he logs in and he sees the information and he sees it like moving around and like whatever, he can interact with it. And he's like, oh man, this is like, this is really cool. This is really cool, man. Wow. Like I gotta really think about this. I, did, I gotta say, I didn't expect it. Then he goes, you know what? I'm gonna think about this over the weekend and then I'm gonna give you a call back on Monday. And like, you know, let's see if we, we might even be able to think about taking this to, to the table. Let me hang out. I'm like, oh, snaps, you know, like, cool. Uh, and then he ghosts me forever for like forever. And I was like, shocked, right? Because it was like, you don't have to, like, I'm just, just now starting out. We got introduced by somebody who's like a mutual friend. 
You know what I mean? Like, I'm not asking you for money today. I'm asking for an entry point into this social network of whatever. You know what I mean? Like, you could at least, like, so what that meant to me, though, was that he thought I was lying. You know, he thought I had somehow tricked him. That's the only way that you would have that reaction and then ghost immediately. Then I got on the phone two days later with another VC who had said it was impossible. And I show it. And he literally tried to explain the technology back to me. Oh, that's not this big of a deal. You're just doing this, da, da, da. And he was completely wrong, obviously. But it was just like he needed to dismiss it in his mind because it's like, I said it was impossible. He did it. I can't let this be a confirmation point. Yeah. Right? And that's what everyone did. Like, they just denied the confirmation point. And like, that's, look, I've worked in finance. I've worked in auction processes. That's like what finance is. And fundamentally, fundraising is an auction process. So. Like the only, but in order to create an auction process, you can't have people believe you're lying <laughs> about the product. If they keep running away because they like think it's, you know, it's crazy. Well, give give the give the elevator pitch for what is Hive from the user standpoint. Um, who's the user and what do they do uh, on Hive? Oh, now it's different. Now it's like it it controls both your calendar, your social media, and uh, and now your email. Filters your email, like it filters your email completely. It runs from my, did I ever show you my CRM? Uh, I'm, I don't, I'm trying to remember. I don't think so. I, I've seen a couple different parts of your, of your yeah. products um, yeah. at various points, but I don't know if I've seen your, I don't think I've seen the CRM. Okay. So now it's basically what Hive is, is like a, a superpower communication tool, right? So it like has three features to it. One is like social, one is, you know, email, um, and then one is calendar. It's like superhuman for your calendar. It's a, it's a messenger for everything. It controls your information. It's a better way, in my opinion, to serve your information. I call it social op- OS. So it's like a social operating system mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Uh, and then as a part of that, right, especially uh, for launch, in order to kind of like feed the utilities, we've also developed this uh, secondary capability, almost like an Instagram TV, um, where we are you know, sourcing content from local LA creators and we've created like a feed through our partnership with Dame Dash and Dame Dash Studios and, you know, a growing list of other people, Van Lathan, um, that kind of like is going to program content um, directly through that. And the idea being that we take all the social information, like our users are logging in, they're using their social, you know, they're talking their messages. So we get a topic cloud, like an interest graph of what they, what they are interested in, right? And then we serve them this content and we see if they interact with it. If they don't interact with it, that tells us something. If they interact with it and it's consistent with some of the other stuff in their social world, then it tells us something. If they interact with it and it's not consistent, that tells us something, right? So it's almost so, like, so, so you're allowing people to use the current, they say, social media platforms, email platforms that they already use, but you're sort of taking a later that you're, you're pulling all of that stuff into one thing that helps sort of optimize what they're doing on existing platforms. You're not asking yeah. them to abandon Facebook and Instagram or whatever. You're saying, Hey, let us, let us help you discover the stuff that's most interesting to you. Filter out the noise by kind of putting, letting hive manage all of this for you. Yeah. Yeah. Our, uh, our slogan uh, on the website now is kill the noise. I love it. So you got it perfect. Yeah. That, uh, that is a big, hairy, complicated problem. That's a yeah. really big thing to tackle. I'm a big hairless, complicated guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the that's the promo quote that we'll get. <laughs> so, so you start pitching investors, and you're you're getting all these no's. Yeah, um, I'm not getting no's. I'm getting like 
again, intellectual disrespect. I'll be yeah. honest. With you. I yeah. like and with finance people, like this is the thing, right? I like they normally play this trick on everyone else because finance is supposed to be it's old magic. Yep. You know, so this trick on everyone else, like I know things, but I'm like, bitch, I know you don't know things. I <laughs> am a more qualified finance person than you, so don't give me that finance bullshit. This is all social network shit. Because all I was asking wasn't give me money. It's like I've gotten introduced to you by like some Rob Refkin in some cases, you know, like by real legit people, right? I'm starting out. I built this thing. I've impressed you, obviously, because, you know, so like introduce me to somebody. Just like allow, you know, invite me to a cocktail hour. Like be a normal human being. My credentials are good. What's wrong with you? You know, but everyone treats me like a liar. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to raise some money for my friends and family. and I'm going to build this bitch. So you did like a friends and family round and got started. um, And I had money, you know, from banking. So I had a little bit of cash on my own. I'm like, dude, I'm going to, I'm going to bet on me. Yep. You know what I mean? And I started hacking. I built like a prototype and then I tried to pitch that and the same kind of deal started happening. And then I was like, dude, like they're just not going to buy this from me. So I was like, what do they buy from us? Fame, celebrity. So I had some friends who were like, you know, kind of in that, era in that in that place whatever and i just started hanging out like i literally just started hanging out with him you know what i mean i just like stopped saying no this is dude it's funny this dude uh david gross who's like a really good dude in la he's like um he was nipsey Hussle's business partner right uh and the way i met him was like this i was working you know i'm at home and i'm like just grinding out code because this is like my baby's life you know like i care you know what i mean also just a lot of other things um and a friend of my, uh, a friend of a friend, my wife meets their his wife, and he starts inviting us to basketball games in Staples. Right? I don't go the first time, Clippers game, but he invites the whole family. He invites my wife, so my wife goes and takes the kid. So I'm like, okay, guy, takes the kid. What's this? Then he does it again, and I don't go. So the third or fourth time that I got a Staples invite, and like I'm real, this, this is around the same time I'm having this realization because that was the second place of life. They're like. Dude, this isn't going to work because I'm not going to buy this from me. I'm like, fine. I'm going to go to the Staples and Mom's Feeds. And it turns out he's just like a really good dude. <laughs> we go out and he, uh, so he's Nipsey Hussle's business partner, DJ Khaled, a bunch of other guys like that. And he's like, he calls me the next day and he's like, dude, I see what you're doing. Like, you know, I just want you to know, like, I, I, I started my own company four years ago and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Come hang out. Don't be weird. You know, just like, and, and like, you know, from there, I kind of started making enough relationships to kind of build this sort of content aspect of it. And that's, you know, wait, that's the only thing that will kind of get me um, a place at the, at the table, you know, because that's, that's what so we just realize that realization that like, all right, you know, if I put the, if I put the work in and I show what I built, I'm not getting, I'm still not getting the respect. Right. People are, are just saying, who are you? But if I can go and say, hey, Here's some celebrities. Here's some people. They trust me. They're with me. You found that that's able, let, led you to be able to open up some more. It's so funny. It just comes right back to that same thing that you found out in the previous two, that it's, it's people. It's people. Yeah. People, <laughs> dude. It's it. people. You can't escape it. Like, you got to be able to produce the work at the end of the day, but build a better mousetrap is not sufficient, you know? No, dude, not at all. You know what I mean? And like, we all have to think about, like, in my opinion, if that's the case, right? And you can't like even build, even if you built a, like a, uh, the equivalent of a nuke, right? Like a, just something, even if you built that and no one believes you, it would just die. 
you know, or you'd have to give it away for like for like the code for free. The more people have to check your work in order to believe you, the more you have to just hand them your blueprints. And if you hand them your blueprints, why wouldn't they just rob you? You yeah. know? So and where so, where is where are we at in the hive story today? Uh is this something that are beta users in? Can people go and check it out yet? Well, no, like I'm launching, I'm, I'm like super serious about how I have to launch it and how, where it has to be. So I launching it at Morehouse college, I'm launching it at like a black college. I'm going through an HBCU beta process. It's going to happen. I mean, I know that's like rare and it's, it's, it, you know, it's often difficult to find people like who understand, but it's a basic thing. If you want to like figure out what 40 million people in America want to watch, who are also like, heavily you know on the tastemaker side right like start in a demographic that's concentrated among them and under you know what i mean like yeah oh man i mean just the power of the power of focusing on the smallest possible initial market everybody wants to to focus on everyone in the whole world but like right away that first step and i think identifying something so tight like okay we're gonna go historically black colleges and universities and you're, you're an alum of Morehouse. We're going to start there. Like that's ideal. That's a huge yeah. competitive advantage to me. If you can yeah. say, Hey, I've learned how to nail this demographic right here. And like you said, you know, young sort of upwardly mobile, educated black people in America, that is a really great audience that has a pulse on what's popular culture uh you know what, what what's interesting to people what's new yeah. what's so I, I think that's a really um i think it's a brilliant strategy honestly yeah it's just it's hard to it's hard to sell but it's gonna sell i mean and so my bet was all like look i'm you know i, I bet on me so like th- there's another reason actually let me just give you the technical reason because i feel like is that there is a database like imprinting issue the first people who use this data because my database is like a graph database and it's deep information type stuff like the first people who use it are going to imprint on it. The things that we learn are going to come from that core demographic, right? And like, so it's really important to me because I want to understand that demographic for them to be the imprint on it rather than me open it up to the world and I get a bunch of random stuff that we then filter. Plus, there's an engineering, this, this other part about it is like, you know, I'm a hacker in a basement. And Silicon Valley acts like all the rest of these companies have been built by hackers in the basement, but it's not fucking true. They were built by teams. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're built by teams. Like no one built Instagram the app, but I built that shit. I'll tell you that. So like today, like is so where I'm at with Hive actually is interesting because today is the day that I'm basically finished with all the logins with basically the whole thing. So I built the like, and look, we're transitioning the front end. The designs aren't aren't kind of where we want them to be. And we're transitioning the front end over to a video game team that's run by. Uh, a guy named Ishmael Megan, who is a YC founder, that kind of stuff, right? So, because we need, like, again, like to, to you can build it, but to administer it, you got to be able to take user feedback. You got to be able to, like, check the data. You have to be able to move. Like, one man can't do all that. So, yeah. we made a partnership that's going to do that part. So, it has to transition over there. But in the meantime, I wanted to make sure that we didn't, like, completely miss. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I just built the whole thing. All they have to do is take it over and kind of like, you know, take over the video game part a little bit more um, and finish the implementation of the designs. But like you can log into it with Google, you can log into it with your calendar, you can log into it with uh, another. And like it works. You know what I mean? It filters, it does all that stuff. So like, you know, oh, so we're doing a crowdfunding campaign. Oh, nice. 
is yeah, that is that something where where is that hosted so we're gonna do republic i mean we have it like kind of this is the first time i'm telling anybody about it publicly but like it's gonna be soon um but i want to make sure look if you're gonna out and beat your chest over your work make sure your work i mean your work has to be kind of close to finish. hey this this has been awesome to i mean i just love the the sort of the the brutal honesty kind of with yourself and then just sharing with us as you've gone through these various career phases. And I would love to hear from you for people that are listening to this, which are predominantly kind of like early career. And I would say from what I've gathered from our audience, for the most part, people that are a little restless, they're either looking for their first job or they're in their first or second job. And they're kind of like, I know I want something more. I'm not sure. What should I do? Should I make a big leap? What should, you know, at that early stage in your career, I would love to hear just from what you've gone through and what you shared. What would you What would you tell somebody in that position who's maybe in a job that they're not quite satisfied with, but they don't know what to do next? Don't focus on prestige. Don't focus on like going up. Focus on horizontal. Like the more you are uh, among a group of leaders and make yourself leaders among the people who like your peers, that's who's ultimately over. No one's going to elevate you. You know, at the end of the day, it's going to end up being a, what, what's going to happen is people in charge are going to age out and it's going to have to be a peer vote. And so, there, you know, some, some, you know, people can get lucky but, and get sponsored, right? But most of those people honestly didn't get it because, you know, they met this person because that person's their family and that person, like, they have a social connection. They have an advantage, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, man, you know, you got to like focus on building a group that you want to work with and finding people that you want to work with and keep that going. It's all about finding a way to, to build a team, especially if you're not in a position because money is going to buy a team from somebody else. Yep. Yep. Man, I love that. Uh, you know, it's funny that you said that, that go horizontal and focus on the sort of the peers, given that we met in a 500 startups accelerator program. and in a program like that, it's easy to kind of be thinking, okay, look, you know, how do I impress uh, VCs while I'm here or the people who are running this thing? But if you look around you at the other people who are in the program, the other startup founders and make connections that way, those are the ones that over the long term, what is it now, a year plus later, you and I are chatting on this podcast. I've talked to several other entrepreneurs from the batch. And I think the more time goes on, the more you see how valuable those lateral connections um, can sometimes be. So, hey, Jabril, man, this is absolutely awesome. I appreciate you coming on and sharing with us and uh, keep up the good work. Like what you hear? Go to crash.co and join the career revolution. If you want to share your own career crash story, send it directly to me at isaac at crash.co. 